All right. Well, I'm excited for this conversation for the CFPs that stack podcast. And I'm joined by a special guest, someone I've known for quite a while, I'm connected on Twitter, now X, but it's uh, Ryan Curlin. He's the president of Alpha Architect. And Ryan's role is working with advisors around the country to analyze, create affordable, tax efficient investment portfolios in partnership with Alpha Architect. And they do an awesome job with their investment strategies, all built around quantitative investing. And Alpha Architect's tagline, which I love, is empowering investors through education. Ryan, thanks for uh, joining me and being here. Yeah, thanks, Isaiah. Let's, uh, let's educate. Let's educate. <laughs> and so before, so we're going to talk about Bitcoin at some point, and I'm going to get to that in a second. But before I do, A, I want to give you some kudos. I'm going to give you some shout outs. Um, you've helped me a ton. I've learned a lot from, from you, Wes, Jack, and the team. And I will always plug that advisor should be, you know, taking what they're doing today and chatting with you all. So I'll, I'll put that plug for all the, and I'll make the joke, the normie, you know, allocations they're going to have, right? The traditional <laughs> allocations, right? Uh, yeah. I'm going to make a case for why Bitcoin, but I think there's a lot of stuff that's still always going to be focused around, um, you know, uh, a stock or equity allocation and some of the tactical stuff that you guys do is, is fantastic. So people should definitely chat with you. So I'll give, yeah. I'll, I'll give that shout out. Yeah, we appreciate it. Uh, yeah, that's what we try to help make advisors' life easier. So, yeah. And then, if there's one or two things that you feel like most advisors maybe misunderstand, get wrong about either of architect quantitative investing, anything top of mind that you'd be like, yeah, that's probably a good, you know, nugget that they would benefit from. Uh, yeah, I think you know we, we've we've made a lot of strides. We weren't great in communicating for a while uh with advisors we we're, we're awesome at going a mile deep and an inch wide and a lot of life i think you got to be able to go a mile wide and an inch deep right so that um you can meet people where they are uh and it's just and it's also just faster right like to to, to go a uh a, an inch deep and a mile wide right because to, to go super specific on a tiny area takes like a lifetime of learning, really. I mean, that's what makes yep. you like a specific expert in something. Um, so, we, so we got better at that. We used to have advisors come to us say, "Oh, Alpha Architect, love you guys. What do you do?" Uh, and I'm like, "Oh man, we got to fix that." <laughs> so, uh, so, so we have Alpha Architect for Advisors webpage now, um, which which hopefully outlays what we do. We have models, uh, ETF models. We have. Um, uh, uh, other helpful information on there, just just to, to to tie it back faster on on how we work with advisors. Cool, I love it. Um, when I had asked you to come on the podcast, I was like, "Hey, Ryan, I know we've had little chats over over the years around Bitcoin, and you kind of replied sure. back to me. You're like, "Hey, uh, I'm probably gonna have a neutral or slash more negative outlook on Bitcoin as an investment." Uh, I know, again, like we said, we have a really good relationship where we can push each other. We're not gonna end up shouting each other and hating each other because. You know, we're, we might shout. Come forth. on, let's shout. That would be more we, exciting that way. We, we yeah. can, right? But I, again, I think what what we have chatted about it's the backslapping of like, hey, we all agree on everything. I didn't want to like create content for advisors around like this Bitcoin thing and just have people on that agree with me, right? And so yep. that's the main thing. So I wanted to kind of give you like, let's lay your initial kind of high level overview, and then we'll kind of unpack different areas from there. So if someone said, Hey, Ryan, what do you think of Bitcoin today? Your answer would be what? Yeah, too hard. Too hard. <laughs> uh, I like I like Warren Buffett's advice. He just says some things he puts in the too hard bucket. Um, and that's it. And so he just doesn't pay attention to him. And for me, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, there's There's a lot of investments in my life where I'm just like, 
too hard. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any edge. I don't have any view and you know, and it's, and it's a dangerous, dangerous thing to, if you don't understand something uh, deeply to enter into it. Right. Which is why most, most advisors or most individuals probably are best suited simply owning, um, you know, again, this is just Warren Buffett advice. I'm not trying to be Warren Buffett here, but there's like, Hey, you should just go on the SP 500, right? Because it's super clear to understand. It's market cap weighted. It goes up when U.S. stocks are generally going up, uh, you know, and, and you can understand what's going on. Because and inevitably, uh, which is I feel even hard to believe at times uh, with, with its performance over the last five to ten years, but inevitably that will underperform. But it's easier still to stick with when it's underperforming because you're like, I know all these companies. I know Apple. I know Microsoft. I know Amazon, right? Um, uh, so, so for me with Bitcoin, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just too hard. I mean, it's in the same bucket as, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, like what's the big thing everybody's looking at now? Credit, uh, high yield credit and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't know, man, like that's, that's just, that's just too hard for me. Um, uh, there's, I have friends who are experts in that and they put a lot of their own money in that. So, um, so it's, it's, it's just neutral, I guess I would say. I do, though, see a world where, hey, this is really beneficial at the same time as a use case. Uh, and I, I feel like uh, for us normies and who don't really get in with Bitcoin, uh, it's probably a pretty common view in that I see it can be really good. Hey, if you live in a country that doesn't have property rights, um, maybe it could be a really good thing if if you think there's no way you could claw back money, uh, the, like the government could go claw back that that money from you, the, like they're the asset Bitcoin. Uh, but even that, I'm like, and this is where I have not done any research to so enlighten me. But it does. I thought I saw on the news that like the U.S. went and clawed back Bitcoin from somebody, even though that was like supposed to be impossible. And I'm like, that even more just like threw water on it where i'm like oh man like if you can't even keep it out of the government's hands what the heck like what's the point um because that seemed like the best use case uh uh, for individuals around the world so so that's my high level view uh yeah i'd say i love it we'll we'll unpack a couple different spots with that i think the too hard piece you probably get that even from a you know, why value or momentum, right? Yeah, too hard, right? I'm just going to stick with the S&P. Totally. I know that. Uh, this just seems like it's adding extra complexity. So I'm sure you feel that way. That's right. All the time through you get it right back. You're like, come on, like this is really something. I, I don't though. I would say yeah. the opposite. When somebody, when I, if I see a portfolio advisor or individual, they come to us and they're all Vanguard or all Schwab. And they're like, cost is the only thing that matters. Like that's a religion. And and I'm not even saying that's wrong. Like it, that it could be absolutely the best way to invest. I'm not saying it's not. It's debatable in my opinion. Um, but I, I think there are other things besides cost that may matter. Um, but there are a lot of people out there that say the only thing that matters is cost. And therefore I'm going to invest in the lowest cost, right? And and I trust Vanguard, I trust Schwab, they have the lowest cost stuff. Um and when I meet with those people, I go, yeah, all good. Like, I, I get it. You're like, you, I, I could make a great case that that's the only thing that matters. I could make an awesome case. I could get on that bandwagon and argue that case. Um, 
so uh so i just say yeah cool like we're 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 not or we don't live uh you know in the in the same investment thesis uh and that's cool so yeah let's, let's go our separate ways let's not let's not waste time together yeah like yeah. is i can make a it's like i can make a hell of a convincing argument why you should add value and momentum to these index funds but if you're unwilling to hear or listen or or you know be willing to change it's like you're just shouting in the void and i i do think there's some parallels there to to bitcoin as well right like if someone isn't willing to i think be intellectually honest it's really hard and that's one of those things that i think i've learned in conversation with advisors there's certain people that they'll be open to it they might not do anything with it but at least they're open to like challenging some you know preconceived notions and there's others that like it doesn't matter what you show them what you tell them they're not going to change um but I loved the one thing you talked about, and we'll come back to it, is the property rights piece, because that is interesting. I think the um, confiscation piece with the government that you talked about, that might have been the Bitfinex hackers, where it was like the the two individuals, and it was like the the one had videos all over the internet of her rapping, and it was horrible rapping. Maybe. I think that, and this is dangerous, like, yeah. from me, because that's, like, I'm the danger, and that's why I'm even more like, I just can't touch it, because... Yeah. I, I, I heard a speckle of a news thing that I crossed and I can't even articulate to you what it actually is. And, and now I'm basing an opinion on Bitcoin based on something that like a yeah. blip of a news story that I don't understand at all. Like that's dangerous, right? That, that you see that again and again in investing all, mm-hmm. in all sorts of investing, whether it's value investing, momentum invest, you get one little blip of info. What, what are they called? Dunning-Kruger effect. And you're like, ah, ah. And, and so like, that's the whole point here where I'm like, I I suffer from the Dunning Kruger effect. I don't understand this, right? I, I don't even know if I'm using that properly. But maybe I'm maybe maybe me not using it properly is Dunning Kruger effect times two. I don't know, but um, <laughs> but yeah. uh, but I don't know. So it's just like stay away. You know yeah. what I really understand? Like I understand uh, equity investing, right? Yep. Uh, like publicly traded stocks. I really understand and I can be I, I like when I own something and it, in that realm and it goes down 50% I'm like okay whatever I know I know exactly what's happening um, doesn't shake me in the least you know I've done that many times so yep. uh, but like Bitcoin right now I'm like oh, oh man 70 to 27k like right what's is it at 27k still Somewhere it's probably 34 today so it's up okay. a little over 100% for the year um, yeah, like coming dude, off that's lows, right? right? Yeah, coming off lows, and I'm like, but to me, going from the all time highs to all time lows, like, I, you know, who knows? I might be like, oh, blowing out, right? Yeah, but it's the same way. Like, did everyone pile into momentum at the the all all time high? Right? They oh, probably yeah, saved totally. into it over time. Uh, they might not have just allocated their entire, um, you know, slug of that piece of the pie into momentum right at the high. But Lots that gives me less confidence. Too. So that's that's actually a point we could hit on too, because that gives me less confidence. Because in in since since Bitcoin to become mainstream ish, it seems to just move when hot money's flying, like Bitcoin's flying, and when hot money isn't flying, Bitcoin's. Flying. And I know if you go back to the two thousands, like early, you know, we could get some great like sharp adjusted. It's it's moving different than the stock market, but. That was like it was such a small market at the time that individual, like massive individuals, yes. still individuals probably, could move that market, right? If they're buying sure. or they're selling, it's it's swinging around. Now that Bitcoin's so big, it seems like to me uh, it, it's only moving like if hot money's moving. 
and yeah. everything's flying. So yeah, it went up when when our momentum stuff was flying because we were in like the crazy go go. We were in Zoom. We were in. I think you were Peloton. in MicroStrategy at one point. Right? We were in MicroStrategy <laughs> yeah. exactly. And when I tell people that, like <laughs> MicroStrategy makes like that at, from a business model perspective. I hope that guy becomes the richest man to ever live. I, you know, I guess if you're a Bitcoin believer, you might believe that. Like, but man, I wanted to puke buying that. Like when your whole business was leveraging your balance sheet seemingly to just buy Bitcoin, like that seemed insane to me. Yet our momentum strategy, yeah, it bought it twice, I think. And I think we made money on it. <laughs> Pretty yeah, sure we did. Like, because we got in and we got out. So, and I, that also ties. I mean, I'm just throwing a million things. I love. Oh, yeah, Bitcoin I'm just taking notes. We'll, we'll come back. Yeah, to just it keep taking notes. You can, <laughs> I'm just flying here because uh, I, I, Bitcoin is interesting. At least I don't do this, but it's interesting to me. At least on a trend follow perspective, because it's crazy, and I don't know yeah. what the what the trend timing would have to be. I imagine it would have to be pretty short. Yeah. So if you look at uh, where is the so if you look at bitcoin you gotta educate me i've given you like 10 things now yeah yeah so let's let's unpack my fault i'm jumping on you no 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 no, no, no. this is this is exactly what i wanted i'm like this is great it's like so a therapy session we're, we're per- just this like perfect. unloading all my problems here i have a i have a, I have a tweet of yours that i want to read back to you and i'm just going to change the word etf to bitcoin and i think it'll be really fun um <laughs> okay but so one of the things you talked about is it's moving with hot money so yeah. what I think is really interesting, have you ever looked at like the Ed Yardini uh, central balance sheet charts? You know, you um, ever look at Yardini I've, I've research? I've heard of them. I can't say like I've like studied them or anything. So yeah. Yardini has a, a really good chart that they update every month in its central bank balance sheets. And if you overlay central bank balance sheet liquidity with the S&P, what's really interesting is it's really more of a spigot on, spigot off type of thing where the S&P goes when the balance sheets of the central banks is going up. And then when they try to reduce or do that quantitative tightening, it goes down. So the idea of moving with um, liquidity is pretty normal for the stock market. I think Bitcoin is exactly the same. It's a sponge for global liquidity and it's the best sponge, right? It moves faster, quicker, and a lot of times in advance. So when you see uh, Bitcoin sell off, a lot of times it's like the, 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 the alarm bell for risk across maybe more traditional assets. And then when it moves it usually moves a little before everything else. And so I would I would say, and I had some people push back and say, well, all Bitcoin does is it tracks NASDAQ tech stocks. And I looked over, and this is 2022, and it hasn't really changed this year, but the numbers were over a three, a five, a one, and then like a seven year period, the correlations were all sub 0.6. So these were all, you know, what would be, we would consider uncorrelated returns, right? So it mm-hmm. is not tracking tech stocks. So that's not what Bitcoin is. And I want to ask you, if someone asks, why do stocks go up in value? What would you say? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the traditional answer is risk, right? Like you're just, you're getting uh, compensated for risk. Yeah. And then why do, why do most stocks not really keep up? And like there's, you know, this, the magnificent seven, right? Right now or has been, and that's kind of been a, a pattern over time since like the 2000s, early 2000s, where it's been pretty top heavy. So when people talk about the S&P 500, it's really challenging when most of the return is actually in a handful of names. Most of the companies aren't making any money. I mean, you look at small caps. I know you know this world better than I do. If you look at things outside of the, the mega indexes and the mega companies, 
they're getting smashed. They're not doing well. Yeah. 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 Small small cap stocks are definitely <laughs> one year time frame, two year time frame lagging. Been rough. Yeah. Large cap. Um, yeah. 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 I, I, I think that stat, I think, is a, you know, it's, I mean, I feel like I'm a freaking, I'm about to quote Warren Buffett here again. <laughs> Warren Buffett, I hate, I hate over here. That, but for, yeah, I, I've, this, this is the most I've ever quoted Warren Buffett in yeah. my life. But man, he's coming in handy right now. Yeah. Because yeah. he has the one thing, like, uh, there's, lies damn lies and statistics like that stat i think it's true like it's absolutely true hey small caps are way down to large caps over one year two year ten years uh so yeah like those those large cap stocks are absolutely those seven stocks are absolutely dragging from an aggregate perspective higher but there are a ton still of like small mid-cap stocks that are making a ton of money and are making phenomenal returns too, right? They're just really, really small weightings and not a big enough weighting as, you know, I mean, what, like one, one stock we own that was, I guess, mid cap ish was super microcomputer, right? I mean, that's like, it's been the number one momentum stock for a, a year, like on a rolling quarterly basis, basically. Like it's, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, right? But I, I know, like, last quarter, I think it was up 350% trailing 12 months, right? The quarter before that, it was up 300%, something like that, right? Like, So, on all, I'm not even take us out of it. I, I just mean there are stocks in there still. That point does get me a little in that I just think people um, are, like, using it as a scare tactic on the on the large market like oh boy like spy is nothing but seven stocks is dragging the whole market higher i'm like like mathematically that's true when you put it all together that's what the that's what the sp 500 is or, or the russell 2000 or russell 1000 but like there are still a ton of smaller stocks going up a lot uh in there is, is all the point i would clarify on and again when you smash that all together yes they're they're generally losing money again the large caps so i don't even know if i'm making that point totally clear but um but yeah i would, I would no that I would makes sense that name. yeah and coming back to the kind of the too hard to allocate um or it's just too hard in general a lot of times some of the best investments or things that are out there it isn't one click and done although i can make the case like buying bitcoin is ridiculously easy so like it's not that difficult to do but there is nuance and i always describe it as an onion where like there's layers where you think you've learned and then there's more to learn but it yeah, can yeah, come over time. You don't have to know everything to get started. The same way that, you know, there's no way that someone's going to allocate to value or momentum um, with the same knowledge that you have, right? Like, again, Correct. it has been your yeah. profession. Like, at some point, Correct. you get a little knowledge. And you're like, I feel comfortable enough. And there's yes. kind of that leap of faith. But there's a lot of allocations. Like, I've always liked farmland, for example. Yes. And AcreTrader is a company that has made it easier. But that's like a really hard a- asset class to allocate to. It's tricky. Yeah. But the returns are actually really nice because it's a good diversifier. It's a real asset. It's good against inflation. You get some good income, all this other stuff, right? So sometimes like the juice is worth the squeeze on some of these things where it does make sense. And you can make the case, again, with Bitcoin, going back to major asset classes since 2011, um, there's you know 13 periods, 10 out of the 13. Uh, Bitcoin has been number one, right? And again, I don't love to talk so much in performance only, but again, the, the idea and the meme of like number go up is important and the price does matter because it's, again, the same way that the price going up in stocks brings in 
the next folks to want to save. Because ultimately, I think what everyone's looking for is a way to take the value that they create in their lives that they can retain or grow their purchasing power ultimately, right? Like that's why we invest. If we could just sit on cash and have enough and never have to worry, like why take the risk? And that to your point is why stocks give you that rate of return is like you do have to go out on the risk spectrum and put that money to work, which I do hate that term, putting money to work. It's like, damn, you'll probably already work for it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know you work for your your paycheck, right? Like it's not like yeah, it just yeah. you know falls from the sky. It's like, ah, it doesn't matter. But with that being said, I want to read I want to read wait, a tweet. But and that, actually, that, yeah, go ahead, wait, go ahead. I, I, I like you going to the tweet because that I, that's a good point because that you hit on like number go up absolutely matters but the because this taps into like one of the fears of me and i think one of the fears of a lot of people even if they can't articulate on why you wouldn't own bitcoin or like anything where i'm like too hard bucket is for china like china stock market was phenomenal returns wise for a really long time and it was like if you're not in china you're a moron like get in get in get in right and then, but the problem is China doesn't really have great property rights, right? And mm-hmm. so they can just, the government can just show up and they will just take your assets. Um, you know, and their stock market went down, what, 40% or something, 50%. And there's no saying, like, now, like, and I, I don't know how the future is going to unfold. Again, like, China may go on a 200% run, uh, you know, 500%, 1,000%, like, and America may disappear. Like, I don't know. But all I'm saying is because there, there's at least a, a perception out there that what Russia did, where the Russian stock market just went to zero overnight, um, right, because of lack of property rights. Um, and, and China just went down a ton and maybe doesn't have the best property rights again. Like, that's kind of the fear with Bitcoin is that, yeah, the, the, the price going up is just an illusion. Like, it, price doesn't actually matter going up if there's... This is now Nassim Taleb's thing, right? But the turkey problem, like, yeah, turkeys—they live all year, and number the number of them goes up, and they get fatter and fatter, and they're like, "We are living life, right?" But then they got a hard zero at the end, and so it's just like, is Bitcoin that is is the concern? Yeah. So you right where it just goes up and then and it never comes back, and you're just like, because a permanent loss of capital, right, isn't zero dollars. A permanent loss of capital like, isn't going from $100 to zero. That's, that's obviously a permanent loss of capital. But in the real world, a permanent loss of capital is if you put $100 in and it goes to 40 or 20 you know, and 30 years later goes back to $100. Like, that's permanent loss of capital. Because I, I, any, any investor's lifetime, like true lifetime, is what, like 40 years? something like that, where you actually have enough capital that it matters. So if it takes 30 years for something to come back, like that was a permanent loss of capital too. Um, so I, I did want to, yeah, I want to hit on that point. Cause that's yeah, another so concern. One of the big things, and, and I'll, I'll get to the, the tweet, but I did want to ask you, like, um, do you think Bitcoin is something that fades into relevance? Is it a scam? Is it a Ponzi? Is it like, do you, do you believe that? Do you think that Bitcoin has merit? Too hard. I don't know. Too hard. I don't okay. know. Yeah. And that's like, fine. That's not, my thing. Not, and it is yeah. too hard for me to determine for me. Like, again, going back to uh, how I invest my money with that, like, I mean, I'm basically, I've either done real estate or, or um, uh, public equity uh, to this point in my life. Again, because I'm not a gazillionaire either. So I don't have like access 
Never had the opportunity to think about great private investments or something like that. Anyway, mm-hmm. right? but um, but uh, but so yeah, I, I've I've stuck to that and I've worked in it my whole life too. So I you know I I have confidence in it and at least I have confidence, which can be wrong, but uh, of uh, yeah, if I look at a business and I'm like, oh, these are the cash flows and this business sells widgets and they're going to be selling widgets next year. And, I think they're going to make more widgets next year. It's like, oh, okay, I, I can wrap my head around that. Yep. Um, that that the with the Bitcoin, which I think, and this is where I'm like, I don't, I don't even know. So I'm just, you know, talking from nothing again to, to always be clear on everything I say about Bitcoin. Is like I'm like, I don't know what makes it go up or go down, and maybe it's what you started with. Maybe it's a liquidity, like global liquidity thing, or maybe it's a I don't, I don't know. But so for me, if I can't even like formulate in my head where I'm like, this is what's going to make it be worth more money in 50 years. Um, then I, I can't ride out those bad times because I can't, I can't be confident that, ah, oh, well, in 10 years, it's going to be worth a lot more money. Okay. Yep. So what I want to do is say Bitcoin is money, right? So ultimately yeah. I think answering the question of what is money is important because going back to the idea of property rights, I think it's really important to kind of highlight what's happened over the last couple of years. Because we talked about like, well, what if China or a government seizes it? So Bitcoin can be stored in your head if you wanted to. I wouldn't advise that. Yeah. But you have basically uh, your own wallet. It's all held digitally and it's portable. You can take it anywhere you want. And if you wanted to memorize 12 or 24 words, you can take $100 million in your head and fly anywhere in the world and you're gone. So like, the money is portable because you can't take gold, you can't take dollars and move them like that, right? With the way this our system works. And so if you look at what are all the properties of money and you, you kind of check those off and Fidelity actually has done a really good job at showing this of like gold, fiat currency and Bitcoin. And it's all about like, you know, durability, fungibility, um, portability. And the joke that I often make is gold has been a store of value asset for 5,000 years, right? It does a really good job at storing value. It's not a get rich. It's kind of a stay rich thing. Yes. I wanted a nice tunic in Roman times. I could use an ounce of gold, nice suit in the seventies, nice suit today. It's going to be able to buy me that. I don't wear yes, suits, yes. so don't worry about that. But what it was hard to do is for me to send money to you in Philly. How do I get the yes. gold there? I got to pay a Brinks truck. I got to get armed guard. Like that's ridiculous. It's so expensive to move. And then also the storage of it became so centralized. All the gold got held by banks. They started issuing, you know, these, these gold backed certificates. And then they realized people weren't redeeming. So what they, what did they do? All human temptation is, well, let's just make a couple more of these certificates versus what we actually hold in reserves. And so what they did is they devalued the currency. And we've continued to do that today. Now we're purely on a fiat currency, but what those dollars or those redeemable notes did is it allowed for folks to interact with commerce globally. And so like fiat currency has been really good for that. It's allowed us to interact globally, to trade a lot easier, and you can settle up later on. You don't have to settle immediately. And that's been a benefit. And I joke that if fiat currency and gold were husband and wife, right? They have a child, the best of both parents, right? They get the best features of the the father, best features of the the mother. That's what Bitcoin is, plain and simple. It has the store of value capability of not something that you can just create out of thin air. And we can talk about that in a little bit of just the issues that we have of money creation in this country and around the globe. It's not just a US thing, it's a global thing. But it also allows you to send it. I mean, I can send you value today. You can download a wallet that is non-custodial, which means no one controls it other than you. And I can send you value today through the internet 
in you know less than four minutes. You can't open a bank account at Bank of America or JP Morgan without giving them you know your firstborn, your left arm, and every bit of information about you, right? It's really hard to do that. And what we saw recently is the money isn't really yours. You talked about Russia, right? So like Russia had their reserves held in dollars and euros and and they were seized when they invaded Ukraine. The money wasn't actually theirs. Right. And I think that's really important. Same thing in yeah, I Canada, agree. Ottawa, right? We <laughs> they froze the assets of Canadian citizens that not only were not at the protest, but had donated to people that were at the protest. They froze their assets. Yeah. Now they unfroze them pretty quickly because there was a flight to of capital that was going to happen. But that happened. So the money isn't really yours. And I think you need to ask that question. Do I really own these things? The same way with I real agree. estate. Try not paying your 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 property taxes, Ryan. Men with guns show up and say, you know what? You kind of owe me that. And you can't control the property taxes that are um, due to you. And so you start looking at, okay, where are ways that I can save and store value without this bleed out? Where's the bleed? Because like with real estate, there's bleed, right? There's upkeep, there's the property taxes, all these different things. There's a, there's a bleed out of the, of the asset itself. And so the reason that there's a, a yield on, you know, bonds or these real estate or, or these other things is like, it's offsetting for the debasement of the dollars that are being newly issued and created. And if you look at the money supply, and again, this is hotly debated, right? Where people are like, oh, the money supply bottle, it doesn't matter. It's money. It's owed to ourselves. I know, I, I think I know, right? I don't think you're an MMT guy. Um, I, I believe so, right? That we, we do think that there needs to be some tether to reality with the amount of money that we create. Um, but if you look at the, the amount of money in circulation, it's gone up by 7% annually since 2000. Most individuals are not making an additional 7% each year. So what happens is that is inflation. And I think that's a fundamental issue and a flaw that people think that we need inflation. And I want to get to that later. Yeah. But inflation is not the, the cost of things going up. The, the inflation is we're creating more money. And then the more money is what's driving up the prices because you have these businesses, like we talked about, that are looking at their you know, inputs, their outputs, their profit and loss and saying, shoot, we got to raise prices, right? Like we have to make sure that we're able to be sustainable. So we need to pass these on to the consumer or to our, you know, um, partners that are you know building the widgets because we build widget A, but they're putting widget A, B, C, and D together and then selling it to a consumer. Yeah. And they don't ever then go back and say, you know what? We're going to reduce our prices. Um, we're going to, you know, change this. We're going to pass it along. Like Starbucks is not going to lower the cost of the latte after they've raised it, right? It's going to be $10 for a, a vanilla latte in, you know, the end of the decade, right? They're not going to lower the cost when coffee goes down. That's just not how it works. They're going to retain and keep those profits. So it's me going on a, a rant for a little bit. And I want to come back to a couple things. One being inflation. Um, but before I do, I want to read your tweet because I keep, talking about it and then i never get yeah, to let's it let's just get let's just All get right. that yeah. yeah yeah so we gotta get the tweet because it was really good you did it last night and it's like oh this is perfect um and yeah, hopefully yeah. other people think it's perfect or it'll just uh fall short and i'll uh, edit it out but anyways <laughs> years ago there was articles about bubbles and etfs things i've learned about bubbles it's much harder to predict a bubble than you think often when people are calling something a bubble they're misunderstanding some radical change in the world i don't know if this is finally a bubble for etfs c.1 I do know there's a misunderstanding amongst some and how the use case for ETFs has changed, opening up new opportunities and reasons to create an ETF, which I think is a great tweet. I would agree with it. So I want to reread it with Bitcoin and I'm just going to replace some things. Years ago, there were articles written about the bubble in Bitcoin, things I've learned about bubbles. It's much harder to predict a bubble than you think. Often when people are calling something a bubble, they're misunderstanding some radical change in the world. I don't know if if this is finally a bubble for Bitcoin, C.1. 
I do know there's a misunderstanding among some in how the use case for Bitcoin has changed, opening up new opportunities and reasons to own Bitcoin. I think I could write the same tweet and repost it. Yeah, totally. I mean, and I mean, that's, that, that just, that's why it just goes back to, I know the ETF world, like, <laughs> yeah, probably I'm in the point zero one percent on that. Like, um, you know, I've yeah. spent my whole career in it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so you forget uh, like, more about ETF than more people know. I, yeah, I, know I and I, I can see it all, right? And and um, so it's it's easy for me to be comfortable living in like it's been this whole time. I and mean, they've been they've been screaming up bubbles and ETFs for freaking at least since 2010. Um, so it's like, and it's been super comfortable for me because I'm like, like I would read these articles and laugh because I, I I could see like that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Yep. Um, uh, you know, and I don't have that on in the crypto world. Um, yep. So. Well, and, and one thing real quick that I notice a lot of times, and this is not a, hey, Ryan, you shouldn't say that. Bitcoin and crypto are very different. And I think that <laughs> okay. delineation is important. So no, you Bitcoin, can't delineate. See, this is why I'm dangerous. You just let yeah. stuff come no, out. No, 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 no. I'm dangerous. Well, it, it's important because I still see, uh, I'm going to not call them out because I do kind of sometimes subtweet them at times, but I'm just going to not call out individual. But they talk about Bitcoin and crypto and they try to conflate the two. And I'm like, you're just confusing people. Yeah, like, okay. I'm trying to talk so, to, yeah, to so, folks yeah. and they're confusing people. And Bitcoin itself is um, decentralized. It is uh, founded by no team. There's no venture capital investment. There's no you know business that started Bitcoin, right? It was a movement of an individual or individuals, and they're, we don't know who they are, right? Satoshi Nakamoto created it. Yeah. Actually, today, which is Halloween when we're recording this, is the anniversary, 15th anniversary of the Bitcoin white paper being released, which is pretty cool. Um, and so it was created it was released out into the wild into a, an email you know of kind of nerds right on the internet that were reading this stuff and it just started to proliferate and it's been grassroots ever since now there's businesses that are built on it i work for one of those businesses right there's going to be things that happen but similar to like the layers of the internet google is built on the internet but they don't they didn't create the internet right and it's the same thing with bitcoin right bitcoin is the base layer of a monetary system and there'll be businesses and life evolves over top of that. I think that's a, a way to think about it. Like the TCP IP type thing, which is what runs the internet. We don't use multiple different versions. We use the version in the same way that all money converges on one. Today, the dollar runs the world. But going back to what I just talked about, I think there's some question and I'm not going to get into and say, hey, the dollar is dying tomorrow. I think the dollar's going to be around for a long time. Just like any time that you implement new software, and I'm sure you guys have changed like your CRM or trading software or something, you don't just turn one off and turn one on. There's a phase, right? There's a phase of they both kind of live together and you want to make sure it works. And then the other one kind of drifts off to the past and this new one comes into being. I think that's what's happening with Bitcoin. It takes time. And for a, a, an asset to monetize, you and I have never seen that happen, right? The dollar has been the global reserve currency. It's been what we use in the United States since the day we were born. Bitcoin yeah, goes from get, collectible. Well, go ahead. We'll just get, a, I mean, just the high level point you have inflation. I, I mean, yeah, I don't, inflation is not good. Um, right. I mean, I guess yeah, I'm again, I'm not enough of a currency expert. I just kind of live in the world and react to the playing field. You're as a fish in water like, and someone swims by and says, how's the water? And Ryan, you just like everyone else says, what? Like I'm in yeah, water. Yeah. Like we just live in it. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it, but I mean, I, I mean we, we we have a blog on our website. Like it's a 
you know, research paper, the liquidation of government debt, like low or high inflation. Nope. Stealthy government debt liquidation. We wrote it, West wrote it in 2015. Um, you know, the point is it's probably, mm, I don't know. It's probably what's happening now where it's like, how do you get, you know, U.S. has massive debt. How do you get rid of debt? Okay, let's inflate it away. Like that will help it's, or instead of tax. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's what's occurring right now. Uh, I agree. And I, I, I guess, so I don't think that's great. Like I, I know my, my grocery bill is uh, probably 100% higher than it was three years ago, right? Um, so that's not great, I don't think, for the world. Like when prices are adjusting that rapidly, it's, it's just, I don't think good. Um, no. And uh, yeah, and but on the flip side, I don't, like just the point, your point here, because I think this was a, a big problem with Bitcoin and that, well, when inflation was flying, right, 2022, Bitcoin went down, right? Oh, so I love like, this. this yeah, okay. So I mean, I know, and I'm, I, I feel like I'm probably giving you all layups here, right? But these yeah. are because these are all the things you no, read, yeah, um, on the uh, on like you know, in the normie world, uh, <laughs> like, right? But it's like, ah, oh, like man, this is what we sold. We Bitcoin protects against inflation. Boom, inflation happens. Whereas if you just bought a basket of commodities, like you just bought a commodity ETF, you were up like at the peak, like 70%, 60% in 2022. Like that protected you against inflation right when you needed. And Bitcoin was down a lot, as as I understand. Um, Yep. Yeah. So So that's like, what the hell? Bitcoin is not an inflation hedge is a great article written by Parker Lewis. Um, uh, I'll send it and I'll tag it in the, the show notes, but it's a great read. So Bitcoin actually solves inflation because it's not inflationary, right? You can't create more of it. And this idea that we need a flexible monetary like policy where there's men in suits or women in suits or just people around a table thinking that they can manage a complex economy is laughable. The fact that you think that you can know when the right amount of money to inject or not inject in the system works is oh, laughable. I, I, and and also, that I agree that with that. It works too. And like the fact that we fed watch is so ridiculously stupid. So much human capital is wasted on those exercises. But if you go back, yes. when did the money get created? When did the PPP loans come? When did the the bailouts like start during, you know, uh, it was early 2020, um, you know, in that April in, you know, April, May timeframe is when like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to push out all this money. And we pushed it out. 40% of all the US dollars ever created were created in 2020 and 2021. When did Bitcoin rip? 2020 and 2021. So go back to the point I talked about earlier. If you measure from the beginning of 2020 through the end of 2022, that's an applicable situation to measure Bitcoin's performance. And it crushes commodities, crushes stocks, crushes real estate, crushes everything. If you start from when the actual supply of new money is issued. Yeah, but I don't know, dude, because that ties into like what I say where it's like, like what it looks like is it's flying when hot money's flying. Like it's it was flying. global liquidity. And so like, because that's when the, the, Pelotons and everything was in Zoom and that's but like, it was and the injection of all that obviously. money into the system, right? Like it, you that, just, it's like immediate feedback. It is a it is again, it soaks up that that liquidity so quickly and it does move. Yeah. Again, it's a scarce asset. And so if there's a fixed supply and there's only X amount for sale and there's more demand, it's gonna push the price up. So it reacts yeah. and reacts quickly. And Bitcoin, similar to like the stock market, moves sometimes in really quick bursts. And if you miss those days, you miss a lot of the returns. And that's where like the idea of saving into the asset makes a ton of sense versus trying to like trade it 
and, and, you know, be smarter and be too cute. But that's what I would say is like, if you compare that commodity ETF from 2020 at the beginning to the end of 2022, Bitcoin still outperformed it because Bitcoin went from, you know, $3,500 to still 16,000 at the low at the end of 2022. That's still a really good return. Right. And if that's, if you just pick, in, in, you know, the, the top and then, you know, pick the bottom. And a lot of times are people going to save into that over time? Again, they're not going to just buy it at 3,500 and hold it the entire time, right? They're probably going to, you know, allocate more as the price goes up and I get that, but if they would save into it or dollar cost average, that does help protect you against that. And so there's a, a website called priced in Bitcoin 21, where if you look at housing in the United States, you look at groceries, you look at all these different things measured in Bitcoin terms, Bitcoin makes life easier. And like, that's really been my thing is like, if you have a better money or a worse money, the better money allows you to kind of uh, insulate yourself from some of these challenges. Now, again, you, one of the points that you made is like, hey, I get it. But if I lived in a country like Venezuela or somewhere where the currency is unstable, I get that Bitcoin's better. A lot of those people are living on, you know, dollars a day. So it's really tricky for them. So a lot yeah. of them actually end up using stable coins or something where they still want dollars. Some of them are getting Bitcoin and, you know, there's different regions that pick it up more. But in the United States, we are still squarely in this store of value stage. So I was talking about it earlier. We've never seen an asset monetized. You go from collectible. So early on, Bitcoin was for, you know, nerds on the Internet. Right. And then it goes to store of value. And that's where it's competing as an investment asset. That's squarely where we are now. Then it goes to medium exchange. Hey, I'm going to pay for my goods and services. or And then it's a unit of account. I'm going to price my car, my house all my net worth in Bitcoin terms. Like it's a process. It's going to evolve over time. And that's where people will say like, Bitcoin can't be money. It's so volatile. Well, it takes time to grow into that. And Lynn Alden, who I think is a fantastic read and great kind of macro thinker and just someone that's really smart. Money is a network good. And she has a tweet and I'm going to read it because it's really good. Liquidity feeds more liquidity and eventually broad enough liquidity feeds stability, which makes it more usable, which then feeds more liquidity. It's similar, it's similar to why we are here on this platform, which is Twitter, whether we like it or not, with the recent owner. Bitcoin can't win or solve big enough problems at a $500 billion market cap. It's small, widely dispersed. It's basically venture money bet in that range. And without you know, fees, it would eventually be captured. Bitcoiners are only a small candle in the world of darkness, unconnected and volatile, small hubs, $500 billion. Her family's from Egypt. They're like Bitcoin, barely heard of it. Too small, too volatile, doesn't help me day to day. Um, I'm not going to put a couple hundred dollars in it, but when Bitcoin's, you know, five X, 10 X bigger, widely dispersed, less volatile, more along the, the a line of adoption has more recognition. All of a sudden things start to work a little bit better. Price is a market signal. A five-year stagnant price is a negative signal. More specifically, Bitcoin price has a lot of correlation with global liquidity. As long as Bitcoin prices rise with global liquidity, it's good. Bitcoin prices fall when there's a periods of tightening global liquidity. So I'm not going to read it at all because it's actually pretty long, but like that whole idea makes total sense. It is going to grow and adopt over time. It's not fully fledged there. If Bitcoin, if what I think happens with Bitcoin and I'm hundred percent right, probably hundred <laughs> percent, it's way higher than 34,000 today. It is seven, eight figure Bitcoin, right? I know that the probabilities are not guaranteed that it wins. And I know on Twitter or in conversation, I'm guilty of this, I'm sure at times of being like, yeah, Bitcoin's already won. It's going to do all this stuff. No, it's all a probability bet. But I think the probability is the the US government is in a spot where we've added almost our entire um, military spending. So 500 billion in less than a month, 
We're at $33.5 trillion in debt. It continues to grow at a rapid pace. We're going to have to roll over a lot of that debt in the next three years at much higher rates. So this debt spiral is real. And to your point, they're not going to raise taxes because no, that's unelectable. They're not going to cut entitlements. That's unelectable. So what do you do? You devalue the money. What protects you in the devaluation of the money if they're going to have to print to cover the interest expense? It's Bitcoin. Real estate will do well. Stocks will do well. Bitcoin does better. So I'm just going to say, I'm going to play chess. Everyone else can play checkers. And ultimately, the purchasing power that I decide to allocate to Bitcoin will improve over time and it will make life easier and more affordable for me and my family. Like point blank, that's the reason. Like that's why you want Bitcoin. It's not a um, you know, 100% allocation, crazy conviction. You can't own any other asset. That might be the way that I look at it at times, but that does not mean everyone else needs to look at it because that's a, it's a store of value stage. So it is, how does this fit alongside other options that I have? And so I think the only wrong allocation is zero. And then you have to just position size it for the volatility for the other things. And I'll pause there because I want to get your feedback and then we'll come into a couple other things. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I I like, I mean, yeah, I think it could play out the way you just described. And I've been just saying like my take on that. Yeah. Inflation could be a problem in the future for sure. Um, Continue to be a problem, I guess you'd say. Uh, But like real like assets will go up too. Right. Like if, like if you own stocks, uh, which are companies, you know, companies are going to become worth a, like in in uh, nominal terms in dollar worth terms, more money yeah. uh, as well. So even even if you know it, they might just like we saw in 2022, they may go down for a little bit. Like in, in initial bouts of inflation, it seems like cash might actually be the best spot to be. Um, but then um, after that, right, then things could. Uh, like will man, like if like, if we're saying inflation's happening, we're saying the value of things is uh, assets is, will is go e- up in value, increasing. Yeah. Like assets will go up in value. So if you own assets, you're going to go up in value. The, the absolutely, if that plays out, the people who get hurt the most are uh, non-asset owners. Correct. The wealth divide right. grows, and I think that's yeah. the biggest issue that will continue to happen. And there's a- that's just a capital problem. Like, cause if you're non, if you don't own capital, like, you, you know, you can't, you, you can't buy Bitcoin, you can't buy stocks. I mean, Correct. so do we live, do we live in a free and open market? I think is a question that I like to ask a lot. Cause I certainly have opinions on this, but do we have uh, a free and open fair market for true capitalism? I mean, as far as I can tell, we have the best one that exists. It's I think that's a fair answer. Perfect. Hedget, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> we well, don't. I, but I mean, but it's yeah, just the real don't. answer, right? To, yeah. It's not, it's but not we, perfect, but it's still, yeah. for, as we far let, as I can tell, I'm not a global yeah. um, historian yeah. or anything. Like, I, it's 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 better than it, as far as I can tell any other country. Yeah, and, and I would agree with that. I mean, we definitely have the best. Going back to the property rights thing in in Bitcoin, like we have the best property rights here. That's partially why people, you know, fight and sacrifice so much to come here for the opportunity set. Even with all the flaws, the United States is still the best place to be. I fully, fully agree with that. Fully agree with that. We have a lot of flaws. We have a lot of things I don't like, um, but we don't live in a capitalist system. We have kind of crony capitalism and there's bailouts and benefits to being large and being, you know, too big to fail or these other things versus, you know, the, the mom and pop shops that are in our local communities when things happen, like no one's there to bail them out. 
Yet we yeah. do that for these big entities and ensure that, you know, the, the stability mandate from the Fed happens. But it's like we really don't care about the stability unless it's these these big companies. And so true capitalism would be, hey, if these companies have done things, you know, it's they're going to find out at the other end that they've made bad decisions and they should be bankrupt and there should not be uh, a path forward for them. And yes, that's probably going to be really painful. But you, just like uh, the analogy of like a forest fire, if you never allow for like controlled burns or anything to come through, when it does happen, it's bad, right? Like the blaze oh, is right. crazy. And we just, yeah. we continue to try to patch things versus actually fix it. And that's why I think the, the financial system today is so fragile, so fragile. That's why we do dumb things like FedWatch and do all these different things because, you know, everyone has to be on the, the razor edge because you don't know when something's going to be the next snowflake that causes the avalanche. And the idea that we're not going to have another great financial crisis or these other things is just silly. Like when Janet Yellen says, I don't think we'll have another financial crisis in, in my lifetime, you know, after 2008. And then we see, you know, COVID and all these other things. It's like, yeah, like we're going to see these things continue to happen. We've had, you know, bank failures this year, right? And we didn't actually let them fail because the FDIC insurance should have been like, hey, if you have more than 250 in here, uh, you get wiped out. And that would have actually set a good precedent again. But what did we do? We bailed people out. And so you just continue to make it more fragile and more fragile and more fragile. So I don't think we have a truly free and open market. Um, but again, I would agree with you. It's the best anywhere in the world, but it is sad to say that that's the best. It's like, you know, the street that's really run down and it's the best house in the street, but it's not a great street. Still would live there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I get all your points and it's, uh, it's, um, there there probably should be more uh like bankruptcies allowed and things like that i mean i i just i look at a lot of what's going on with the uh car companies right now right they were probably they probably all should have gotten waved off yep in 2008 2009 um they didn't and now they seem to be they're zombies really really struggling like these zombie companies right and if you just got wiped out there's probably a whole bunch of new better car companies by now um so yeah I, but i guess like my seat always is too like i i can't control that i didn't make any decision on that nobody called me and said hey ryan yeah. should we do this or that <laughs> right so all i can do is control what i can control exactly. which is yeah. hey yeah if, if, if assets are generally going to go up i should probably own that but i should also you should be prepared for deflation it's unlikely um but you know it's it's, it's kind of think, the anti-fragile situation, right? I why, mean, that was one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah. Why do you think, so technology is deflationary, <laughs> right? We can agree on that. Sure. I, right. I guess. I mean, I haven't like, I guess I, it, that sounds You're, right. Like in the moment, I have never like super, super thought about it. I yeah. Guess, but all. like technology makes us more efficient. You can see head counts go down. People can be more efficient. Like you see productivity charts that go up. Um, yet the cost of living for most things is not going down. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, uh, yeah. I mean, I think part of, part of it, when you look at that chart, I I did see one chart that I thought was was pretty good, right. Where anywhere there's been government intervention, there's been inflation, right. So like it's, yeah, if like colleges, it's, it's, it's a bad incentive they've had where they're like, yeah, take on as much debt. Nobody can get rid of the debt. Like that's like the big one. I'm like, nobody can get rid of that. Like, that's why it exists. Bankruptcy laws so that you can 
disperse your debt, and that puts skin in the game for the colleges and things, right? Because without it, the colleges are just like, let's just keep raising, let's keep raising, let's keep raising, right? Yep. And so that causes, like, that you're, you're giving incentives to charge more and more pre- uh, higher fees. Um, so, like, that's one minor example. Uh, and then nobody can disperse the debt um, is, like, the other side of the question where, so I don't know where that puts me on the political spectrum, but it, I'm, I'm probably like, hey, I, I I think the whole student loan crisis could be fixed super quickly, which would just be enable people to um, uh, like just not like get rid of their 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 uh, student loan debt, like not pay it from a uh, you know, like, right from a bankruptcy perspective. Just say I'm out, like like you can with every other form of debt, mm-hmm. credit cards, your mortgage whatever you're like this was a bad decision i'm out um and yeah your credit score gets wrecked and whatever but at least it, it bakes some skin it in the game things, you, you yeah. need you need some you just need skin in the game somewhere um to uh to, to create a balancing effect there so that that seems to be a, a big reason because it's the same with housing right where there's massive government intervention and now one i haven't thought of enough but it's like because they're healthcare healthcare these all seem to be um, issues. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we don't need uh, you know ten TVs in our house, but we would you know like good healthcare, um, you know affordability for for housing, um, you know things like that. So yeah, it, it is are way cheaper. Yeah, we don't need ten of them though, right? Like it's like yeah, we yeah. just needed one or two, maybe like a house. Now they're almost but, TVs are almost damn disposable now. Like yeah. you, you you buy a you buy one and three years later you're like ah, I don't know. Like I think I have like probably three in my basement like from yeah. you know my wife and i over the years right getting married moving in together and you're like it's still good but you have nowhere to put it like, yeah you wanted a bigger one you know like so yeah anyway. like but dude here's here here's one to hit on because I, I i looked up i looked i just googled because all right so on the inflation thing like just hit on that point versus recap my view versus yours is i'm just like hey you could be right i, I inflation absolutely could happen but for me, I think assets in general are going to go up then. So as long as I own assets, I'm okay. Um, and then, but this was one I just Googled because what we started with, because this was the other problem, like, I, I, and not for me per se, but I, it's an argument I actually like of, yeah. for in, in favor of Bitcoin, but I'm unsure if it actually exists is what I started with when I said it would be cool if, if you had somewhere you could put assets and they are safe from government entities right because if i lived in a hostile regime um maybe i'm like hey you know hostile country right that doesn't have property rights things i was like let me put in bitcoin but i I then just googled u.s government seized bitcoin that's what i googled and then the first link that comes up is from justice.gov u.s attorney announces historic 3.36 billion cryptocurrency seizure and conviction in connection with silk road dark web fraud um, and they says law enforcement received over 50,000 Bitcoin hidden in devices in defendant James Zong's home. Uh, Zong has now put guilty. So like, it's like, man, they came and got it. Like billions. <laughs> it was valued at 3.3 billion. Um, yeah. And the government <clears throat> seized it. And I'm like, that's a, that stinks. Yeah, so the the idea that Bitcoin can never be seized, I think, gets probably a little bit too too much airtime. But what it is is it's a bearer asset, similar to like gold. It's a digital bearer asset where you can hold the custody. Because today, like stocks, bonds, all that stuff, it's digital. It's held at Fidelity. It's held at Vanguard. It's held at Schwab. You like you have a custodian. 
And so you have that like custodial relationship and it's pretty easy for a government just to go and swipe that. So for them to come and take it from you, they have to physically find you and physically get access to you. And then those devices. So the idea with Bitcoin is like you have um, what's called like a hardware wallet or a, you know, a signing device that allows you to move your funds, but you have to have the private key. And so these yep. devices create the private key. Well, if the individual is, let's say, tortured or put under duress, they can give up their private key. Yes, that can happen. There's no way around that. What someone can do, though, is say, uh, yeah, I'm not giving you my private key because these a lot of these um, wallets, they have a secure element where you can't actually like hack them and get into them them, themselves, right? Or you could put what's called like a passphrase, which is a 25th or 13th word, and no one could ever guess that. You could also do something called multi-sig, where you have multi-jurisdiction. You could say, hey, I'm going to put my Bitcoin in this um, multi-signature wallet, and I'm going to have a wallet in Singapore. I'm going to have a wallet in London. I'm going to have a wallet in New York City. I'm going to have a wallet in, you know, uh, Rio. Uh, Good luck getting that, um, you know. Yeah. They can't, they can't access it. So you can depend on your threat model, right? And I don't know your threat model compared to my threat model compared to anyone else's threat model. We probably don't have, you know, the government banging down our door to, to take stuff. Like if we're going to do the right things, we're going to, you know, obey kind of the laws of, uh, of the world. Like we can still own and hold that asset and don't have to trust anyone else. And I think that really helps where, again, going back to the property rights thing, you don't really have those same property rights where if you support something that maybe isn't praising the um, current administration or something like that, you could see a situation like I talked about in Canada where they just seize the assets, freeze your bank accounts, do these different things. You can't stop, freeze, or take away your access to the Bitcoin you know, ecosystem or network. You can't stop it. I can send money to anyone I want. If I want to send money to someone in North Korea right now, I can. Yeah. No one can stop that. Um, right. I can't wire money to that person. And so I think yeah. that's a big difference. But again, for a lot of us here in the West, like that's not the use case that we need. We're not trying to, I'm, I, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't know anyone in North Korea. I'm not trying to wire them money. I'm not trying to get money there. I'm not trying to yeah, yeah. You know, fund these efforts, right? So for us, I, I definitely still come back to the idea of if you get put under duress and if think of the world's worst option for a presidential candidate in 2024, your worst nightmare, they get elected and they decide they want to terrorize you. You yeah. probably want something that they can't come touch or seize where they yeah. can come and touch and seize that real estate that you own. They can they did seize absolutely. gold. Gold bugs love that. Well, yeah. So let's talk about that. Um, you know, yeah. Executive Order sixty one hundred two. I'm not uh, knocking gold bugs either. Yeah, I, I mean, I think everyone. a lot of advisors it's just, uh, hate just an on interesting gold. Interesting stat of history. Yeah, I think a lot yeah. of advisors hate on gold, and it's fundamentally they don't understand money because gold is money as well. It's just yeah. failed in, in in a way. But they they think that gold's bad. But if you look at gold since the launch of GLD versus owning bonds next to your stocks, GLD's done a hell of a lot better for them. Better diversifier. Um, better ownership alongside of it. If you rebalance, like all the numbers are there, run the numbers. It's better than bonds. So I would encourage someone to to look at that, but I'm not a gold bug and I'm not going to make the allocation to gold <laughs> because Bitcoin is just a hundred X better than gold. Like I, Bitcoin is, is, is digital gold plus you get all these other benefits. And so it's significantly better um, from that standpoint, but yeah, you can find a way to confiscate Bitcoin as a government entity, but it is a lot harder. And so I think the idea of being expensive to tyranny uh, is a benefit to Bitcoin versus other assets. Yeah, but so like, because like, let me get like, let's just get down to it then. Because so, because my my answers are, hey, I don't want Bitcoin because I, I I have the same concerns you have with inflation, because I also have concerns with deflation. Like, I my whole point is, I don't know what the future of the world is going to be, and I want to be prepared as best yep. I can. I want to be as resilient and robust as possible. 
yeah, as best as I can. Absolutely. And therefore, for me, owning assets achieves that goal owning of inflation, owning cash uh, or a mortgage uh, achieves the goal on deflation. Um, uh, you know, and, and who knows, maybe you go long bonds at that point, right? Like maybe well in a deflationary <laughs> world trend follow i mean right like that could be a good uh thing um are we talking then, uh, true deflation or are we talking about asset price deflation because i think those are two different things falling prices over time of things getting cheaper of like tech innovation versus like these deflationary shocks i think those are two separate things that need to be quantified but i think what I you're guess, talking yeah about i'm saying like deflationary shocks like yeah housing yeah, yeah. goes down 50 yeah. percent um you know, the stock market's down fifty percent. Like the, your grocery bill goes down fifty percent. Like it's true economy wide deflation. Um, I uh, yeah, I, I, I and I guess I'm not saying like again. All my point is just to hit on it. I feel I don't Bitcoin doesn't give me anything better than cash plus um, assets to protect on the future world of me keeping pace from a purchasing power perspective yeah let's let's unpack it and get into it right so let's just get to numbers so i did run and so there's a really great tool and i'll send it to you because i know you like analytics it's called the nakamoto portfolio tool made by hafa zaguri on our team here at swan but it's open source you can run any kind of traditional asset allocation adjacent to it so i put in january 1st 2020 through the end of october um, as of yesterday, I said, okay, the three years and nine months, if you bought everything at the beginning, again, I know we're saying like you probably save yeah, into yeah. it, but let's just say you picked one yeah, asset. Yeah. S&P gave you 36% return over that time frame. It's great. Uh, uh, commodity Com ETF gave you 52% return. Pretty good. Uh, ag, the Ag gave you a negative 11% return. Bitcoin gave you a 394% return. From January 2020 through October 2023. Buy put and put in like put in super microcomputer SMCI. All right. So let's do let me let me go back here. Or NVIDIA or whatever. I mean yeah. I'm just saying like, yeah, 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 yeah. Price no, return isn't like the protection I'm necessarily looking for. Like there's a lot of assets I could have been invested in that I wasn't give invested the, in. Give me the ticker win. for the, the computer one. I know in SMCI. Okay. I mean, all my point is there is like, there's a lot of assets I could have invested in that I could have made more money with. I have. Sure, sure, sure. That will always be true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just going back to the conversation though. Oops, I clicked it too soon. I'm just trying to grow my wealth over time in a sustainable and scalable way. Yeah. Like, right. Um, Then there will absolutely be things I don't own. SC, what, sorry, what would we SMCI. Yeah, got it. And again, I'm just picking a random stock I yeah. happen to know of that went up a ridiculous amount. Uh, but you can well, put Nvidia in there too. Like, yeah, or whatever. I mean, just all right. So let's. I just want to put all these in, and and I agree. Where like the price thing is, is one of those things, but there's a big difference between a stock and a and a commodity money, right? So. Super microcomputer might be doing things that are great right now, but how sustainable is that in the future? It's all based on. I don't know. I mean, I know, yeah, again, I'm not. I am not saying buy that stock. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the no, list. I, yeah, yeah. I'm just using that as 
and and that's because the but point I'm the risk profile is very different. Bitcoin's risk profile is, are the is the rule set of Bitcoin going to change? And the answer is no. This has not changed since its inception. It's 21 million. Every 10 minutes, there's a block. You know the rules of the system. You can opt in, and no one controls it. So I don't have that same control over NVIDIA because a government can pass any sort of legislation and say, hey, NVIDIA, you got to break up. You're too big or you can't do this. You can't do that. Or maybe their their founder or their current CEO leaves. Something happens. Their head you know, engineer that's a whiz breaks off right. and starts another company, right? There's all kinds of execution risks there. Bitcoin takes all that away because what Bitcoin is, is here's the rule set. It is digital money and it does the exact thing that you want it to do and what you expect it to do. There's no but you surprise. don't know. Just like I don't know. As much assets are going clarity, to go up. The assets as much I own. Clarity of you don't know you Bitcoin's have. going up. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't know that Bitcoin necessarily is going to go up, but I know the rule set that Bitcoin has gives you confidence. Gives yeah, you, you confidence that it will not change yeah. from that standpoint. Yes. yes. So the ability for it to all of a sudden I wake up tomorrow and now there's forty two million Bitcoin, that's not gonna happen. Just frankly will not happen, yeah, yeah. right? Um, okay, so super microcomputer crushed it. So beginning of January, up nine hundred percent. Nvidia up five eighty nine. So yes, if you were saying, "Hey, I'm going to pick the these these ideal companies to to own," they would have again outperformed over that time frame. So to your point, yeah. it's not all about that. What I would say is that there's a big difference between, and I think a lot of people still look at it as, you know, Bitcoin is a, a tech kind of startupy stock thing that they can have access to. It is a very different you know, piece of the puzzle from, from my perspective of what it's doing and what it is. Um, but looking at, um, you know, the why, so you have all these different assets that you can own. You can try to pick and choose, you know, Hey, what's the right company to own. And maybe you strike it rich and you are that person. Maybe you aren't. I know, um, going back to the very first thing we talked about, which was the help that you provide to advisors like building out model portfolios. So what I did is I looked at kind of the model portfolio that you helped us at my previous firm build out for US equities, right? So it's like a broad-based, low cost, right? Super cheap US large cap exposure, and then your momentum US funds, um, and then your quantitative value fund. And you blend those kind of like a third, a third, a third. And I ran that from the beginning of January, 2016 and rebalanced annually. So that's seven years, nine months through October. That would have gave you basically a 10% return, so 9.6. And you have a max drawdown of about 40%. And your sharp ratio is about 3.8. Solid, right? Like that's great. Yep. You do that, you compound you know, your face off per West Gray, right? Over time, where sometimes value or momentum is going to carry it. Sometimes just the beta of the market is going to carry it, but you blend it, you rebalance it, and away you go. Yep. If you take that same allocation, Right. Let's say you have a 5% allocation of Bitcoin. You carve off a little bit for each one. Again, is that going to destroy the return potential of that? No. Uh, but what it does do is it takes that 105 total return or kind of 9.6 and it takes it to 18 and a half. So it basically doubles it, over doubles it. And with the rebalance annually, what it does is it does not increase the max drawdown. The volatility uh, annualized goes from 21.09 to 22.21. So it's basically the same thing. And the sharp ratio goes to 0.76. So what you do is you amplify your returns for a little bit of an allocation of Bitcoin. That's rebalancing annually. So that's saying each year you're coming back to that 
you know, 5% allocation. You're not just letting it run into the future. Now, if you let it run in the future, it would get much better, but you would have larger drawdowns because that Bitcoin allocation is going to grow. Obviously, if you do a 10% allocation, it gets bigger and your max drawdown goes to 40, your sharp ratio goes to 0.99. And now your returns annually are 25% with, you know, a 500% return over that time frame. Now, again, that would be two over 70% drawdowns. That, yeah. that to me, like you can make the case that it belongs beside an equity allocation because it amplifies returns and does not add additional risk. And it solves for a different issue that you can actually, but you don't again, know going forward that it amplifies. Exactly. Because well, I could, I can, yeah. if we're just taking, Hey, we know what happened in the past again, I could be like, well, put NVIDIA in there and we'll, we'll amplify returns and reduce. I think it's a and, big, there's a big thing. Yeah. There's a big, and I don't big, know on the future. That yeah. NVIDIA so there's a big difference out. between, again, a company, so a stock allocation in Bitcoin, right? And I think that's really important for people to grasp. Bitcoin and stocks, very different profile, right? I can't take self-custody of my stocks. I don't know who's going to lead those stocks in five years. I don't know how the supply issuance of shares in the future. I don't know anything about what they're going to do. New product launches, failures, successes. With Bitcoin, I know the supply issuance every single year into the future. I know that every four year, the supply issuance gets cut in half. I know there'll only ever be 21 million. And I know every 10 minutes, there's going to be a new block that's created. And I have the rule set of what happens. So could it change in the future? Maybe. The odds of that are extremely low. The odds of a stock in a company changing over the next five and 10 years is extremely high. And there's a report done by um, Rob Arnott and Research Affiliates about the, you know, the, the leaders of the last decade to the next decade. They don't stay the same. Right, I agree, that but which is but all there. Get, but I guess I'm just saying my my point, which is you believe those things. Like I don't necessarily believe those things. Like you believe Bitcoin will be yeah. higher in the future. Yeah, I don't believe because it absorbs global liquidity. Maybe I yeah. just say so, too hard. Do you, yeah. Do you think that there will not continue to be devaluation in a a debt that will continue to grow? And it's like if those things are true, if they if we continue to issue more debt to pay off our previous debts, yeah, and if we continue to devalue the currency, the nominal return of some of these stocks is important. Of individual stocks. That's why I'm not trying to get sucked. I'm just using yeah. these as examples because I know they have great performance too. Yeah. Like yeah, I'm yeah. just saying, but individually, yeah, there will be stocks that are going to get hammered. I mean, that's always true. Like most stocks don't outperform cash. That's true. Uh, like so. But but in the aggregate, if there's massive inflation in the aggregate, the general stock market at large over time, maybe not instantly, but over time, will go like assets will go up. That's what inflation is. Yeah. So, so even it's like, even Nvidia, using that as an example, over the year to date, it's done better than Bitcoin. So year to date, 2023 return profile better than Bitcoin. Over the last three years, it's lost 68 percent when measured in Bitcoin terms. The last five years, it's lost 65 percent. So even trying to pick the best stock over a longer period of time, you start looking out years, it doesn't keep up. But that's not, my, yeah, my point isn't to pick individual stocks. Like, yeah. I'm just using this as like, so if an, we use an, an asset index, that right. went up a lot versus an asset that went up a lot, like yeah. all I'm just tying, I'm just trying to, to tie in the full, like my belief, your belief, but it's yep. that I believe inflation if you own assets in large you're protected over the long term even if you're not protected in small moments in deflation you're protected um over the long term even if not in small moments via owning 
cash. Uh, like, uh, you know, you always want to have enough liquidity on hand, right? Uh, from an investment perspective. Um, and then just your view is, hey, I, that's, I agree, but I, I would rather own Bitcoin to protect myself or at least some Bitcoin to protect myself against those concerns. Yeah, Bitcoin solves some of the same things and it also solves additional risks that are out there a, that your current yeah, allocation does not solve for. And right. I think that's the, the thing is like you get an asset that gives you the growth that someone wants from just purely my, like I'm only looking at investment returns, but also solves some of these other issues that may be out there that you get kind of these free extras, right? Like, hey, included in this great package is something else. And it is yeah. not without risk. It's not that Bitcoin solves all the world's problems and everyone, you know, has a home and, you know, all the children are fed and everyone has a happy marriage. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not making that claim, but the claim is, if you measure things in Bitcoin terms, they bleed out over time. And you can say, well, okay, that's great. That's the past, but into the future, the future is uncertain. So what you would want is certainty or the thing that is the most certain moving forward in looking at the way that Bitcoin is constructed as an asset itself. It is more certain than any equity market, any real estate market that you can have access to because you don't know anything that happens in those specific markets where with, with Bitcoin, it is a consensus system where the the default is do not change, do no harm. And there are really long drawn out conversations if there are changes. And then you still get to basically vote by saying, do I want to enable this change in the way that I interact with Bitcoin? There's been attempts to change Bitcoin, right? 2017, Bitcoin Cash. They said, hey, we want to make changes, we want to make it faster, we want to make bigger blocks, we're going to do this. And there was this big fracture and divide. And that's why I feel as confident as I do about this is because it's been tried where people have tried to change Bitcoin. And so there was this, a lot of money, a lot of power on the Bitcoin cash side where they wanted to make these changes. And basically there was a hard fork. So you got some of both. And since that hard fork, Bitcoin cash is down 98% when measured in Bitcoin terms, like it's gone straight down. So the free market voted and said, this Bitcoin cash thing is garbage. Uh, Bitcoin, that's what we wanted. That continues to be decentralized and continues to be what initially was set out to do. And so like you can see that there are attempts to make changes in the history of Bitcoin. And I get that that is, again, part of understanding what is Bitcoin and going deeper into it, going back to maybe it's too hard, but that's why I can feel confident making those claims. Yeah. So I don't no, know if that helps. No, I mean, I love it. Uh, I mean, I, I love like your confidence in, in the future. Um, you have to be confident in your investments yeah, and I would, uh, yeah, in order you have to, to make money. Yeah, you, you have, have to have, have conviction, conviction to, to be able to hold because, again, yeah, you have to hold through different things. And what you saw in 2017, Paul Tudor Jones talked about this, right? You saw 80 some percent of the supply of Bitcoin didn't get sold and it went down 70, 80 percent. The conviction is there. The people that hold Bitcoin, um, these crazy psychopaths, you know, yours truly included in that. Yeah, yeah. It's they don't sell. They understand what they own and they have a long time horizon and they have a low time preference. And they're saying this thing absorbs the monetary premium that is held in a lot of other assets. And we're cool just to sit here and wait and continue to let it monetize. And I will tell you, there's a day when Ryan is going to buy Bitcoin. And I know this day will happen. <laughs> if fine. I ever do, it'll well, be trend no, no, no. followed. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you can run the numbers on the trend following thing um, and, and look at it. And maybe that's the way you get exposure initially. But at some yeah. point, like this, this Bitcoin thing is not going to go away. And I get it. I think the, the ultimate... I guess kind of as we try to wrap this up and take it to, to some place where you can kind of be like, all right, we have a bow on it. We're good. Is yeah, yeah. if you run the numbers 
And again, it's all backwards looking, but a lot of the numbers on whether it's value, momentum, all these other things, a lot of that is still, there's some backward looking data and a lot of finances that way too. Backward right? looking, all, all, of, all of finance is backward looking, right? That's, yeah. I, I tell this all the time. I say, what is quantitative? Like we're quants, right? You know, we do quantitative analysis. What is it? Well, you look at numbers in the past that did really well. And you say, that's interesting. So that is your starting point. But then you got to put intuition as to why, which is what you're, you're doing with your argument on Bitcoin. Like, yep. why will this continue to work in the future is the key. Because I can give you, if, if, we, mark, if we took a market cap portfolio of uh, the top 50 stocks over the last 100 years that's, and uh, that start with the letter A, <laughs> that backtest would crush because you would be like 25, 50% Apple, 25, 50% Amazon, some, you know, and then uh, like some Alcoa in there, I guess. And uh, that's about it, right? Everything else would have mattered. And your back test of performance would be absolutely electric. But you'd be like, well, what's the intuition on why? <laughs> like, is there any intuition on why this is going to work in the future? The answer is no. So like if we're talking value, if we're talking momentum, but if we're just talking stocks at large, why do we think the stock market is going to make money, continue to make money in the future? Um, there's some economic intuition, which, which yep. you know, that you, you don't have to believe in. I mean, but, but most, I guess, yeah. people do. If I you're think most rational stocks, people would agree. Yeah. yeah, that there's going to be some sort of companies that are offering products, goods and services to people that they want to have. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. They grow. Yeah. And, uh, so that like, yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and just human ingenuity and we're going to keep trying to make things better um, little by little, uh, you know, and that in the aggregate will work towards higher wealth in the long term, um, which doesn't necessarily have to be true either. Uh, but that's that's at least why you do own stocks. Um, and so with Bitcoin, the same thing. You got to say, OK, hey, this backtest of performance looks amazing. What's my economic intuition as to why this will occur in the future? Which I get, you know, or at least I think I get, which is, hey, there's there's limited supply here, right? There's there's finite supply, even, um, you know, and and there's going to be more use cases for it in the future. Therefore, that's going to push the demand for it up, which pushes the prices up higher. Um, that's totally reasonable to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it is. If you think about the total addressable market for sounds good quality money in a world. Every single individual is a, a user of that. So your your potential audience of where money is is good for is, is yeah. everywhere. And if you think about what what is money, right? Like money is unique that it is a social construct um, that is not purely abstract, right? And it's going to have some sort of rooting, typically into some sort of physical realm to remain functional. Like you, if we just say hey, tomorrow we're going to print $100 trillion and just helicopter it everywhere. Like everyone yeah. be like, well, that's funny money. That's, you know, hyperinflation. That's the, you know, uh, Venezuelan Boulevard. Like people are just going to sweep yeah. it up in the streets. So like there has to be some tether to like, there is value in this thing. And I look at Bitcoin, like, and there's a quote by Robert Breedlove that I love. And it's like, betting on Bitcoin is based on the conviction that the competitive dynamics, which have shaped the evolution of money, technology over human history, because we haven't used the same money forever, right? We've advanced over time. We'll continue to hold on into the future. That's what all that your conviction needs to be in Bitcoin is that over time, we advance to better money. And if you grasp the idea of what is money, what is its form and function, what makes good money? And then if we work for it, yet it can be created for zero cost, 
won't it return to the marginal cost of creation, which is zero? And so right now we have the dollar. How much does it cost to make a dollar? Why does the dollar have value? And will that be displaced by something that is tethered to energy consumption, real world resources that is scarce, that is finite. And that is something that historically we've had for thousands of years, right? Gold gave us that a long time ago. And I think it's a return to an idea of something that is tethered to reality, but it is digital because our world is digital. You can't go back to a gold world. And I've heard people make that claim like, oh, we're going to go back to a gold standard. It failed for a reason. Like we aren't going back. We are a digital connected world. So you need digital money. And you need money that is, you know, apolitical that can't be controlled by one entity or institution. And so, yeah, that's the, that's the bet is that people are going to want that and desire it to where they can have personal property rights of their yeah. money. Because right now when you put money into a bank, you know, you're in a contract where, you know, they don't have to give that back to you. Right. Like that is, there, there are some major things that we just have grown up with that we've never really questioned or asked why. And I think more and more people will as you start to see the degradation of the dollar continue to happen in just all currencies around the globe. Like there's just issues. So yeah, you don't have to believe it. Um, I get that. Um, but if you just look at it as an investment asset and look at it at how it can complement other things, I think that alone um, merits some allocation of Bitcoin. A 0% allocation to me is, again, probably a major, major issue because if I'm right, and again, you can make the same claim like, oh, I just put a little bit in this, all these wild, crazy things. Um, but Bitcoin is unique in that that's dance that it is global money. And there's not anything else that has really come along that's been able to make that claim. So I don't know if there's a great spot to wrap it up, but questions have been that's awesome. It. I, think, yeah. I think it's great. I think, hey, man, it's your show. Um, so definitely, I, you know, I, I think it's good. Close, close on your closing argument. Uh, <laughs> well yeah no i i appreciate the the back and forth i appreciate the time um and for folks that want to reach out and talk on value reviewing different things um i'll put ryan's information in alpha architect in the show notes as well and ryan thank you so much for the time man yeah thanks for having me as a that's always great hanging with you